We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, April 24th, 2023. Well, that trip to St. Petersburg, Florida went as expected, despite overcoming a 4-0 deficit in Game 1 and leading 7-5 in the ninth inning. Or a Gavin Sheets pinch hit home run tying game two in the eighth inning. And Lucas Giolito going seven innings in game three. The Chicago White Sox were swept by the Tampa Bay Rays. This is a historically terrible start for the White Sox since the expansion era in 1961. Their 7-15 record is tied for the second worst start in franchise history, tying the 1986 White Sox team that was led by Hawk Harrelson as the GM, 1997, and the 2001 squads. Only the 2018 White Sox had a worse start to a season, 6-16, and that team finished with 100 losses. It's not bad luck why the White Sox are are where, where they are now. We'll recap what happened in Tampa, contemplate if there's a fatal flaw with this roster, and preview the White Sox next series as they travel north to Toronto, which I'm sure that series will net a much different result. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. Jim, let's start off with some happy... We met up with our Sox Machine Veterans Committee members from Patreon. Yes, uh, I would like to think... Uh, or say that I planned this for the White Sox starting 7-15 and and having a (laughs) road trip to the juggernaut Tampa Bay Rays, followed by a road trip to Toronto, and then another series with those juggernaut Tampa Bay Rays in order to talk about something else. But no, I guess we're just lucky. But uh, yeah, we had an outing at uh, Windy City Curling in Villa Park, a a curling club I'd never been to, and... uh, you had proposed when we had the veterans committee of like, what kind of perks can we get the veterans committee? And you kind of tossed it off. Like you can teach them curling. And I thought, you know, it's not a bad idea, you know? So just, you know, when it, when it came to starting out with an event, like 
Having never been there, not knowing the people, wanted to start small. And uh, so we just did a, a event with some of our Veterans Committee members and uh, filled it out with the guys from the 108. And we curled for a couple hours and the whole learn to curl thing. How are you feeling after your first curling experience? So <laughs> what was weird? So I've been doing a lot of Peloton and I stretched before arriving to curl. So my hip flexors were fine. And woke up the next day, I was good. That was the part of the body that I was worried because of that lunge that when you're sliding down the ice. And I was worried about my quads. I was worried about my calves. Those are fine. The top of my feet, like the top of my toes, the top of my feet are sore. And I've never <laughs> been sore in this part of the body before. I'm not sure how you avoid that type of soreness, but they were not used to my foot folding flat while sliding yeah, on the that, ice. And there's also like the tension of just keeping your body stable when you're sliding out. Uh, and I think there's just more tension than usual. But yeah, I mean, when I'm you know coming off an off season and doing it for the first time, uh, feet, ankles, like the kind of the plantar gets sore, especially if like if you're you, if you stand on your slider and you slide down the ice, just bracing yourself. Uh, with the foot tension happens, but yeah, hips, um, the, uh, you know, quads, I would say like when you, when you're sweeping for eight ends, that's when the lats come into play, uh, and, and oh, triceps and such shoulders, those will get work out. We only did uh, three ends and kind of switch positions to where like you were skipping. So you didn't have to sweep and then you got involved. But, uh, yeah, when you, when you're playing eight ends, other body parts will get involved to where like you wake up uh, after your first day of curling after being off for a while. And you think like, am I getting sick? And you realize like, Oh no, it's just, uh, what did I do last night? Yeah. I curled. And then it, it all makes sense. Yeah. I have to say my first curling experience, it was a blast. That curling rink is a lot longer than I was expecting. Like that was my first impression was Wow. That is really far away. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, because it's hard to capture on TV. Yeah. You know, it's kind of the same way you mentioned like 40 yard field goal. And it's kind of like how 40 yard field goals don't look that long anymore. And then you actually try to walk it off. I'm like, oh, yeah, that, this that, is far. that takes effort. <laughs> but no, everybody looked, uh, you know, you can see the progress over the course of three ends. Like, you know, I was looking at the video, uh, you know, sharing video, uh, sending it your way. And like, your slides looked really good. Like you were under control. You're, you're sliding out for longer and longer. So, I mean, that's a lot of the battle is just like feeling like, you know, you're going to fall over and, and, and bailing on it and, and, you know, kind of throwing it too early. And, uh, you can see the progress like you and the, and, and the one Oh eighters and, and, uh, Penals and you know, Penals is really nervous about it or just like he likes getting things right. And so when he can't get it right, right away, you can see him being like, you know, why am I not getting this? And then, but he was, you know, it was starting to fall into place. Dan was doing great. Like, yeah, a lot of good shots. He, uh, the, the Sox machine team played, uh, the one Oh eight and the Sox machine team came away victorious, uh, which was a victory for the one Oh eight because the winners by the first round after the game, that's a curling yep. tradition. <laughs> uh, so of course they, they were, you know, all for that, but yeah, after the game, nice game room area, got a couple of pizzas, had a lot of labats, uh, to, to capture the spirit of curling. And, and despite what game unfolded afterwards, uh, it was a good time. And I'm looking forward to doing it again and doing a bit bigger next time. Now we know how much room there is and, uh, you know, how accommodating they are. You know, we can probably get a, a a few sheets going. Yeah, and you know, big shout out to Ron and Pete and Pete, uh, Dan. 
uh, for joining us as part of our veterans committee. And of course, Pinos was there and our friends from the 108 beef loaf, Cherizi, my sock summer. Thank you for joining us as well. But big shout out to our VC members as they have been wonderful. And, And for those that don't know about the veterans committee, this is our highest tier on Patreon. And we, they kind of serve as our de facto board of directors, our, our advisory council. There are things that we share with them behind the scenes of how Sox Machine ticks. Some of it is financial information. Some of it is our future plans. Some of it's current plans as well. And we get their feedback from them. And we meet with them bi-monthly. And with their support, it really helps us move forward with what we want to do with Sox Machine, especially in the next couple of years. If you are interested in being part of the Veterans Committee, you can apply to be one on patreon.com slash machine. If you really enjoy work and you really want to help out as far as behind the scenes, moving the Socks Machine forward, uh, we can't accept everyone, even though it'd be wonderful to have all this money being invested at the Socks Machine. We are being selective in who joins because we do have a group chat also involved, so they constantly text back and forth things that we know that we share with them or even texting during the game, which is a lot of fun. So they have direct access to us. So we, we want to vet everyone that's interested in joining the veterans committee. We do have some spots available. So if you're interested in applying, you can go to patreoncom slash socks machine. So when we have these things in the future for the VC members, you can get involved. Yep. And, uh, you know, it might be a case too with, you know, seeing how large the facility is that, you know, we can do curling for Patreon, but, you know, VC would get first, you know, crack at it or, you know, help set the dates and then things may fall in, you know, as it happens, as we, you know, go into this, you know, whatever is going to be the rest of the season and what happens afterwards, we might be talking a lot of curling just to, uh, <laughs> you know, get through this. This might be more of a curling blog that talks about the White Sox occasionally than, uh, you know, what's going on right now. But yeah, it's, it was a nice, um, you know, it was a nice diversion and, you know, I'm, I'm always happy to share, you know, my second favorite sport and, and, and kind of share, uh, you know, you know, what I love about it. And, uh, you know, I, I think between this and then the, the meetup in Cincinnati, uh, it's nice to know that we have each other, like no matter yes. what, like no matter how the white Sox do, no matter how much the white Sox disappoint us, like the, you know, the fun, why do we do this? Why do we keep watching the games? Part of it's just, you know, because we like the people we watch the games with and they talk about it with, and, uh, we know what's going wrong. It's, yeah, I likened it a while back to like, people who work on Fords or Chevys or a certain car brand, and that might frustrate them at times. They might say like, yeah, Fords are a piece of crap. I know why they're a piece of crap. <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel about the White Sox sometimes is like, oh, it's the, uh, you know, oh, the Cadillac converter always goes on these things. Or, you know, just it, it's, uh, you know, the head gasket never lasts. Like that's what it kind of feels like when you're talking about the White Sox. And uh, we, we didn't, you know, when you know them inside and out and the fans know them inside out, it's like you, you know, it, it's a shared language of disappointment and coping. Misery loves company, and I do have to say, when it comes to White Sox fan community, we are good company. So, look forward to seeing everyone in Cincinnati soon. I think we're within a couple weeks now of being out there for that next road trip for the Chicago White Sox after they visit Toronto. We'll talk about that series later on. But a great transition, Jim, of knowing what is wrong with the Chicago White Sox. Let's talk about the White Sox. We delayed long enough 
the White Sox getting swept at Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. joining Bernstein and Holmes before this series played out, and just talking to Dan and Lawrence, we had a conversation because I, I didn't know exactly how to answer the question of, will the White Sox win a game in Tampa Bay? And the only way that I could think of the White Sox winning a game in Tampa Bay is one, limiting the home runs from the Rays because they've been fantastic, especially in the power department. And two, finding a way to capitalize against the Rays' bullpen and score runs late. With the exception, well, I, well, game one was a bullpen game. So I would say games one and two, the White Sox did a good job against the relievers from Tampa Bay. They did a poor job limiting the home runs. The Rays now have a major league record, 22 straight games to start a season hitting at least one home run. They are 13-0 and now at home, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. And it just got me thinking, like, this is supposed to be a contention window for the White Sox. They're 7-15. That's bad in itself. But it is very clear that they are outclassed by the Tampa Bay Rays. And even if Tim Anderson and Yohan Mikado were around, I'm not entirely sure or sold on the idea that any of these game results would have been different. And just getting slapped in the face like that this weekend, knowing that you have to play them again next weekend, and that's a four-game series at Guarantee Rayfield, it just feels like, man, the Rays have an excellent opportunity to bury the White Sox. We haven't even gotten to May yet. And I just wonder, Jim, if there's something fatally wrong with this roster. Well, you know, when you look at this series, you know, given that the losses were all close slash respectable, and that sounds terrible when they're 715, but I'm just, let's, let's talk about the series in isolation. So I'm not saying like, you know, oh, they're they're doing okay. Sure. Let's just talk about the series like as three games. Um, You know, the games were within reach. They should have won the first game, Reynaldo Lopez blowing the save, but they were in position to win. Second game, extra innings, you're always in a position to win when you get to the 10th inning. They didn't execute in the top of the 10th, so the Rays had the the Rays had the Rays hammer to talk about curling terms. Like, they knew exactly what they had to do with their last shot, and they did it. You know, so they, so they had go, that going for them. And then third game was just like an ordinary loss, like an ordinary 4-1 to Giolito pitched well, didn't pitch well enough to offset the offense. Like, they weren't, you know, in three games, if you were just looking at these three games in and of themselves, they were not outclassed. The problem is, like Dylan Cease after the game on Saturday said, they're playing extremely well. They're not, they're good at not beating themselves. We've hung in there. They're definitely beatable. We've just got to do it. And, you know, they they lost a game where they had six walks uh, in an inning. Uh, and, you know, just they uh, had a, a run scored because they didn't cover first base. Like they... They tried to beat themselves. The White Sox wouldn't let them. Uh, then, you know, they face Shane McClanahan and swing, what, 32 swings and misses, including like 28 through five innings, like 16 changeup swings, 14 whiffs. Like the 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 swing and miss rate was incredible. And then it's, you know, um, Zach Eflin, who's okay, you know, good command guy, and like a lot of swings and misses there, or just, you know, Yanni Chirino's coming in and, uh, you know, shutting them down. When you, when you look at it in that succession like that and you think like, they're definitely beatable. We've just got to do it. They played beatable baseball and the White Sox couldn't do it. So what does that say about the White Sox? That's kind of how I look at it is, you know, when, when you bring the seven and 15 record into it, now you bring in the rest of the context. It's like, yeah, they're, they're not doing it. They're not doing it against anybody. And the race did not play 
killer baseball. Like the game on Sunday, they played really good baseball. They their defense was outstanding, hit a couple homers, pitched well, you know, no walks. Like that's a game where, yeah, you face the really tough Rays team uh, that we you know, had heard about. They lost four to one. Uh, but the other two games, they tried to beat themselves or, you know, the White Sox did put a dent in like Gavin Sheets, tomahawking that homer. That was a, you know, that, that could have been a gut punch. And it wasn't because, the, you know, the gr- hit a grounder left side with the runner on second doesn't advance them and they have to get a hit and they can't get a hit. Uh, that's just, you know, how we're looking at it. And uh, yeah, uh, so when you when you bring it all together, you do have big questions like, is the roster fatally flawed? And yeah, I mean, like when Yuan Mankata and Tim Anderson are out and, you know, and Luis Robert is in one of his funks, uh, yeah, when Gavin Sheets has to play right field because Oscar Colas looks like a rookie. Yeah, you know, this is a weak roster, especially when the injuries are injuries they dealt with last year and players who have been injured often and unavailable often, and the White Sox didn't really plan all that well for that. So I guess to back up to my point, saying that I thought the White Sox were outclassed, I think you raised really good points there, Jim, that maybe I am wrong, that the White Sox were not necessarily outclassed because they did have an opportunity to win two games in this series, but they they fumbled. I Maybe, would you say the White Sox played better against the Rays than they did against the Phillies? Yeah, I think, you know, if this series were in mid-May and the White Sox were like, you know, 30 and 27, or like, let's say they were 30 and 25, now they're 30 and 28, like you'd say, well, that's unfortunate. Hope they can dust themselves off. But in this case, just, yeah, it's dust. Dust is piling up <laughs> and, and it looks kind of like a grave at this point. So going back to the intro, this is the second worst start since the expansion era. The worst start being the 6-16 six 2018 White Sox team that would eventually lose 100 games. The only hope really is the 2001 White Sox squad that started seven to 15. I think eventually they got to 14 and 29, a terrible start. And then they rallied back to Jose Canseco arrived. Yeah. Jose Canseco arrived and they finished 83 and 79. That is the best finished record out of all the white Sox teams in franchise history that have started seven and 15 since the expansion era is 83 and 79. Now a silver lining the American League Central might be worse than we thought. The Minnesota Twins currently lead the Central with a 12 and 10 record. And they seem to be stubbing their toe for some reason against the Washington Nationals over the weekend. I don't think 83 wins is going to win the American League Central. But, <laughs> but if you still want to hold out for hope, maybe the White Sox could still finish above 500, but things are going to have to drastically change and back to the fatally flawed roster. It's a lot of the talking points that we've been mentioning over the years, Jim, right now, mm-hmm. the white Sox as a team have a 97 weighted runs created plus according to fan graphs, that's 20th in major league baseball. So they're 3% below league average with 100 being league average. They're the bottom 10 in that category walk rate. They're at 7%. That's 28th in major league baseball ground ball rate. They must hate my ideas because they are the worst in Major League Baseball at 47.6% of the balls they hit are grounders. The average exit velocity for the White Sox is 87.8 miles per hour. That is 25th in Major League Baseball. Pitching-wise, 11% walk rate from the pitchers. That is 28th in Major League Baseball. That is the worst in the American League. 
and they have uh, allowed 29 home runs. They've only hit 23 home runs. They have a negative six home run differential, and we've talked about it over the years in where home run differential means a lot to the Chicago White Sox. And I'm just gotten to the point that maybe a new manager will fix things. Maybe if they stay healthy, we'll fix things. I think now at this point of the season and at this point of the contention window, the roster's flawed, the players are flawed, the front office is not good at their job. The only one that I'd be willing to see keep their job after this tremendous start is Pedro Grafal, and he's only he just got here. But I've got serious yeah. questions about everyone else involved with this organization and now the doubt has really seeped into my mind and now i'm wondering not only is it a front office problem but i think you got a player problem here for the white Sox roster like they i don't believe they are going to improve because this is just the style of play that these group of individuals play baseball even Grafal, like it's tough because this is his first month as a manager uh, at, you know, any, you know, not any level, but any, you know, major league level, like his first prominent role in a dugout. And there's nothing, you know, he's not saying anything impressive, but I wonder, you know, what can he say? What can he say? Like he can light into, you know, light guys up and, and rip into them and, is that what you want? Would that be counterproductive? Would they say like, who the hell is this guy? And tune him out the way they tuned out like Tony La Russa, or maybe didn't tune him out, but couldn't hear Tony La Russa. And they go about their business being like, you know, uh, 26 individuals or like five clicks or whatever you want to say that the uh, clubhouse turns into. And it's the same thing as it was last year, but worse. I don't really know what Grafal can say, but it just, you know, if you have a year like this, like, I remember when they hired Rick Renteria, they went from Tony, uh, sorry, Robin Ventura to Rick Renteria, and they hadn't announced the rebuild plan yet. And you're thinking, like, well, if Rick Renteria is taking this over, they didn't interview anybody. Like, is he the guy you want in a last ditch effort, in a low resources effort to contend again with these players? And then they traded all the players away, or at least they started to tear it down. And, like, the manager became less consequential. Renteria had done the job before, seemed like a positive guy, not a terrible hire. And it turned out to be not not a terrible hire for that point in time. But like Griffal, like if he has this year, like what's the point of continuing almost? Like, you know, maybe he goes into a rebuild roster, but like this is just a terrible first impression. So, I mean, he's got to think a lot riding on this as somebody who, you know, a team with, you know, maybe not high hopes, but high leverage. Like this is a case where, you know, you got to get the job done or else, you know, it, it's kind of like the equivalent of a blown save. Uh, it, you know, if you, if you squander this really hard to go back out there and say like, yeah, I got ideas for this next team. Um, like with Renteria, he got one shot at a contender, did an okay job until the very end. And they said, not good enough, but it was all the losing that happened beforehand that built up like too much scar tissue to operate past. And they just wanted a fresh start. Like Grafal, this, this is a lot of scar tissue early on for a manager. If he's having this kind of season. So, I mean, I don't even know if Grafal, like if the white Sox somehow by any miracle overhaul their front office, like I'd say, yeah, get rid of them. Like just, just let the new administration hire their own guys, their own coaching staff and, and do everything that way. And I would feel no attachment given the way it's starting. But you know, I also don't want to judge a guy off, the first 22 games when it's a flawed roster falling apart on them. And in a way that, you know, is predictable, but 
it is a mess and it, you know, it's all identifiable. None of this is really surprising except for, I mean, even really saying except for aside from the, maybe like the sequencing. Like, I think that's probably the most surprising thing is like they can't even, yeah, they've struggled to get like all the elements working together for even like two games in a row. That's, I think, what's most impressive. Like yeah. no series wins, no consecutive wins at this point. You'd think they would luck into that somehow and haven't done that. So I think that's really the most surprising thing. But when you look at the individual elements, like some guys are struggling, but they, there were some, you know, caution flags, if not red flags around these players. Like, Nobody is really, you know, I'm thinking about the roster and like nobody is really, you know, struggling out of the gate that you think like, oh, that's, I'm shocked. Like, no, they're just kind of occupying their, uh, you know, 30th percentile outcomes, which were, you know, realistic with the injuries they had or the age they are or the wear and tear they've suffered or what they've done the last year plus. Like it's. It, that, that's what I think what makes it so hard to buy into a turnaround is all these you know reasons are very real. Most popular question on White Sox Twitter or any social media platform is what do the White Sox do at the trade deadline? Like you already have White Sox fans looking ahead to mm-hmm. July. Who are the White Sox moving? If you need to start rebuild 3.0, who could be leaving? My official position is this. I don't think the White Sox should do anything if Rick Khan is still going to be the GM for the entire season, if he's still going to be the GM for the entire season, I'd rather the White Sox not do anything because I'd rather have somebody preferably outside the organization with fresh eyes of the entire roster, making these decisions and not this, well, maybe I'll get a rebuild 3.0 and then I'll start moving Lance Lynn and start moving Lucas Giolito, all the contracts that could be expiring at the end of the season. I mean, that's really the easy answer, folks, because the cost is not that high for players that are going to be on expiring contracts or have really cheap buyouts like Lance Lynn and Yasmani Grandal. I think they both have like, oh, Grandal is a true free agent, but Lance Lynn has a $1 million buyout. Who knows? Maybe even Lance Lynn, uh, not Lance Lynn, I'm sorry, Liam Hendricks, if he could show that he's healthy because he's got that contract option where if the White Sox don't pick it up for the 2024 season, he is owed $1 million for the next 15 seasons. Uh, or the White Sox pick up the club option for 2024. They pay him $15 million to be the White Sox closer next year. And who in the hell knows what kind of team that's going to be. I think that's way too far down the line. But my official position is I just don't trust Rick Khan to do anything correct at the moment. Mm-hmm. So I would say that I don't want the White Sox to do anything, even though July seems really far away. Uh, I'm hopeful that the team could turn it around still and we have something more positive to say, especially the months of May and June. But I also pointed out in my worst case scenario during our predictions before the season that the worst case scenario is the White Sox dig themselves such a deep hole in April. They cannot climb out of it. And when July comes around, the the July schedule is a lot tougher than the April schedule. And things can really unwind for the White Sox right before the trade deadline. And it can get a lot worse before it gets a lot better. So I would like to shelve those talks. But right now, my official position is as long as mm-hmm. Rick Hahn is the GM, Jim, I would I would prefer the White Sox not to do anything. What are your thoughts on that particular topic with so many White Sox fans asking? Yeah, I, I get that. Uh, the thing I don't like about that, and it's not like a... A problem with your logic is that it runs into the Alavila thing from the 
the Tigers last year where oh, good part of the reason he was fired and not the entire reason, like he had, you know, the, the track record was ultimately the reason, but one of the things that prompted it was like the trade deadline came and went and he did nothing. Or like he had all those relievers to move Gregory Soto and Andrew Chafin, uh, you know, Robbie Grossman was one. I think he moved Grossman, but like just, they had all these relievers that could potentially bring something back and they weren't going to be contending within the next couple of years based on all the injuries they suffered from the players they considered frontline uh, you know, contributors to this rebuild window they were hoping they were accelerating and he couldn't get anything done. And kind of like Rick Hahn couldn't get anything done at the deadline aside from Jake Diekman. And, you know, we, we heard you know, Rick Hahn flagellate himself and say, I'm right there with you and being frustrated. And we all rolled our eyes and like Al Avila didn't do that. But I think like after the deadline, they realized like, oh, he just, he just botched the deadline. And, you know, if you're the Tigers, if, if that's all it took to fire him, then you really shouldn't have let him get there. So, if this, if the White Sox are like, if this is really going to be the status quo for a while, like seven and fifteen or seven and fifteen type bad, like maybe they they get back onto a seventy win pace, but like there's no sign of progress and no real upward trajectory, and eventually like one of the Twins or the Guardians gets hot, and we're talking about a team that's ten games back instead of theoretically like one series away from being tied for first place, which is how bad the Central is. Like you look at that and say, uh, if it's, if that's happening in mid-May, just like fire them then. Like, and, and obviously we're talking about the White Sox here. So that's seems like a pipe dream, but just like, that's how I kind of look at it is like, you can't let that guy get to the deadline if, if he's botched two rebuilds. And this is really tanking when they had like a, uh, you know, second year of a record, a recordish payroll that they've never been in. This was supposed to be hit a window and they're, they're, they're falling apart. Like fire that guy, you know, fire Kenny. Like you know, clean house before you get there, you know, let somebody else take over and try to get this, you know, do what they can with the core, decide to keep the core, decide we need more time to evaluate over the winter one is when we're going to be pulling the trigger on some moves. Once I see these guys for three months, myself and get an idea of it. That's just kind of how I look at it. I mean, I'm probably asking for the impossible here, but uh, just when you look at what happened with the tigers as a cautionary tale, heed that cautionary tale. That's a good point, Jim. Uh, let's try to talk, pump some more positive into this conversation real quick. Uh, Eloy Jimenez had a good weekend. His first two at-bats on Friday were terrible. And we had the watch party, and we were ripping Eloy because he was continuing to do what he did in the Philly series, just not have a good game plan at the plate. And then suddenly, he gets a home run. His first home run of the season. And his swings look so much better for the rest of the weekend. He had another home run in the series. He had a big double, so he almost had three home runs in this series. So Eloy, finally, Jim, in the 2023 season, has shown some life. Yeah, uh, the, lifting the ball, ball and air, like he's heating that. Um, yeah, a lot of good contact with pole field, had the double off the base of the wall. Like even his best contact, like the double off the wall was not like a no-doubter. When that left his bat, you're thinking like, oh, get out, and like, couldn't make a play on it. Couldn't come close to making a play on it. So having that kind of carry, I, I think is something we saw from him in the minor leagues, you know, that made him a top five prospect, so, you know, when he was winning silver sluggers and, and, you know, being on that kind of, you know, impact player pace that we talked about could hit 40 plus homers over the course of a 162 game season. Those are the kind of swings that do it. Unfortunately, and this might be getting to your negatives, but like you know, Luis Robert starts swinging at everything. Uh, Robert Jr., I should say, uh, starts swinging at everything same time. So it's like they're, they're it's almost like they're they're sharing a bat. 
and you know only one guy can use the good bat at once and it decides you know which one do you want more and i'd always say robert just because like i like watching him run and get on base more but that's kind of what we're you know the talk about sequencing not being able to get like two of your core players the two healthy players from the core that we talk about never playing together they're playing together, but they're not playing well together. And that's just another thing that's uh, that's causing them to spin. But like, yeah, when Robert was playing well, Jimenez had nothing to offer. Now Jimenez is back. Robert is chasing everything. And round and round they go. Yeah, this past week, covering the six games, the three games against the Phillies, the three games against the Rays, Luis Robert is three for 25 with 10 strikeouts this past week in action. He's not alone. Lenin Sosa, two for 18 with three Ks. Jake Berger has cooled off. He's two for 19 with nine strikeouts to three walks. And uh, Joy Eloy Jimenez, Andrew Benatendi is six for 20. Elvis Andrews is showing some life, even though it's singles. He's five for 20. As a team, though, they're not running. They've only had two stolen bases this past week. And they are barely walking. 15 walks, and that also includes that one game that you mentioned where they walked six times in an inning, mm-hmm. and they are striking out. They struck out 56 times in seven games. So they have this terrible strikeout-to-walk ratio. Again, they're hitting the ball on the ground. They're not hitting the ball very hard. They don't walk. They strike out a lot. There's just a lot going wrong, and these are a lot of the same talking points we had last season and why they underachieved so much and finished 500 when they had World Series aspirations and should have repeated as American League Central Division champs after the 2021 season. And here we are, and it's getting worse. And we're hoping that it gets better, but we're not going to blow smoke up your butt because after a quick word from our sponsors, we're going to preview the next series for the White Sox, and it's the Toronto Blue Jays in Toronto and again on paper it looks to be a uphill climb for the Chicago White Sox next on the Sox Machine podcast kick off the new year with new gear built to last our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades customable snow glasses and much more Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair you've worn durable frames and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures and that's not all shady rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements if you lose or break your pair even on day one they told us they will send you a brand new pair no questions asked wear your shady rays with confidence because they have your back long after you purchase with shady rays you can look good and feel good To date, they have donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. If you don't love them, exchange them for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. I actually have three pairs from Shady Rays because they just look awesome and I'm very picky about my sunglasses. Sometimes I like to match my sunglasses with my outfit. I could be that way. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use promo code SOCKSMACHINE for 50% off two pairs of polarized sunglasses. Again, that's ShadyRays.com, promo code SOCKSMACHINE. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right. The White Sox fly from St. Petersburg, Florida up to Toronto, Canada, and the Blue Jays not as strong as the Rays. So I guess that's good news. The Blue Jays are 13-9 and for the season. They're six games back of Tampa Bay. And I laugh at that because the Blue Jays would be leading the American League Central with a 13-9 record. But they're in the American League East. So now they're six games back and they are tied for fourth place because Baltimore is playing good baseball. The Yankees are also 13 and nine to start the season in the last 10 games. The blue Jays are five and five offensively. The blue Jays are okay. They're not hitting on all cylinders right now as a team OPS. It's at 732. That's 13th in major league baseball against right-handed pitching. Again, they're going to see a lot of right-handed pitching from the white Sox. As a team, they're better against righties. They are hitting 737. That is 11th in Major League Baseball. Compared to the White Sox offense, a 692 OPS. That's 20th in baseball. Shockingly, against right-handed pitching, the White Sox team OPS is 691. So right there with the team OPS when you include the lefties, and that makes the White Sox 21st in baseball. On the pitching side, A little bit of a struggle for the Blue Jays. They have a staff ERA of 4.48. That's 19th in Major League Baseball. The starters, 4.55 ERA. That's 18th. Bullpen is a little better at 4.35 ERA, but that's 20th in Major League Baseball. The White Sox, you already know. I'm not even going to bother reading the numbers because they are very depressing and they are much worse than where the Blue Jays are on the pitching side. So offensively and on the pitching side, The Blue Jays do have an advantage, but it's not as one-sided as it was when the White Sox played the Tampa Bay Rays this past weekend. Your pitching problems for this series, Monday night at 6.07 p.m. Central Time, it's Lance Lynn against old friend Chris Bassett. Tuesday night, 6.07 p.m. Central Time, this is going to be another watch party on playback.tv slash Machine. as our friends from the 108 will be joining us as we'll watch this game together. Mike Clevenger will make the start for the White Sox against Jose Barreos. And on Wednesday afternoon, getaway day, this is a 12.07 p.m. Central Time start. It's Michael Kopech against UC Kikuchi, who has been pitching really well for the Blue Jays after leaving the Seattle Mariners. All right, Jim, so breaking it down as far as the series and all the numbers and the data, again, it appears that the Blue Jays should be the heavy favorites. Let's start off with the simple question. Unlike St. Petersburg, will the White Sox win a game in Toronto? God, that's... (laughs) 
<laughs> so depressed. <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> yeah. It's, I want to say yes, just because like, you know, when you look at something like Jose Brios, I think it's been fascinating watching him because he's been my, um, you know, kind of like the, not, not role model, but like just my example for we're talking about like Lucas Giolito, the kind of extension he wants do you give it to him and like the way, you know, Brios has pitched since being traded to the Blue Jays and how he's, you know, fared on that, uh, what's it, six years, um, $130 million extension, something in that range. Right. Um, yeah. Has not gone well. Uh, does not look like money well spent. No real progress over a couple of years and trying to like write him. So like that game feel, they've gotten to Brios before. That one feels good. I mean, Kikuchi's been iffy. Chris Bassett, like, he loves sticking it to the White Sox. Like he's somebody who, you know, whether he actually takes it personally or whether he just, you know, does the Jordan thing where he uh, just, you know, uses the trade to rile himself up to pitch well against him. Like when he's been healthy uh, and in this recent form, like 2019, 2020, especially like he just shoved it against the White Sox and just you know, the right-handed uh, sweepers, basically we call them now, and, and, and you know, running fastballs in, sliders away, you know, just no chance. So if that guy reappears and not the one who's been, you know, mediocre this year, like that's going to be a tough assignment. But there is, you know, like when you just look at the way they've, um, you know, pitched, the White Sox should be able to get them similar like to the way they got to the Rays, like the Rays invited them into the game, but they took advantage. You know, they, they scored, um, you know, plenty, <laughs> plenty enough to win. So it feels like there should be one game in here where the bats awaken. It's just a matter to me of like that, you know, Blue Jays offense is dangerous and Rogers center is e even easier to hit in than before because they changed the offenses there. So that's something I'm curious to watch, like see how that plays out when watching fly balls go to the outfield. Cause I haven't watched a whole lot of Blue Jays this year haven't really seen any games in Rogers center. So I'm curious when, you know, like how the fly balls, the left field at Camden yards always shocked me when saying like, Oh, that one has a chance. And then all of a sudden there's a cave in left field that, you know, you need to, you know, hit the ball 35 feet longer to clear a higher fence and realizing like, Oh, that's dead out there. Uh, I'm just hoping that when we're watching it, it's because like Gavin sheets at one of his 99 mile per hour fly balls. It just carries and carries and carries versus uh watching you know vlad guerrero jr or dalton varsho or something like that like hit a similar fly ball that all of a sudden puts the white Sox in a four nothing hole yeah looking at the like the success rate especially the first game matt chapman is batting 118 against lance lynn and that's 17 at bats but matt chapman has hit two solo home runs so i, I bring this up because Matt Chapman is on fire to start the year for the Toronto Blue Jays. His OPS of the season is over a thousand. He's hitting 367, 438 on base percentage. It's like it's 684. He's got five home runs, 17 RBIs. He's got 10 doubles. We know how good he is defensively, especially at third base. He's having a great start to the season. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is Vlad Jr. He's got an OPS over 900. Bo Bichette's got an OPS over 800. But then it starts to get really quiet for the Toronto Blue Jays. Even George Sprainer's off to a pretty slow start. So in that first game, I'm curious on how Lance Lynn does because he's been digging the White Sox a hole early. And then he, uh, then he gets on track. And then all of a sudden he's in like in the sixth inning of that game. And he's racking up seven or more strikeouts. He needs to have a good start. He needs to have a clean start. 
I'm worried about how the top of the lineup for the Blue Jays hits Lance Lynn. You mentioned Jose Barrios. Man, the White Sox do have a tr- great track record against Barrios. Andrews, Benatendi, Berger, Jimenez, Vaughn all have batting averages over 300 against Jose Barrios. Benatendi, Jimenez, Robert Jr., Sheets, and Vaughn have all hit home runs against Barrios. So I think I'm with you. If there's any game that the White Sox do win, if they could really put a hurt on the Toronto Blue Jays, is that second game against Jose Barrios. They do not have a good track record against Kikuchi. And Kikuchi coming in 3-0 with a 3.80 ERA with 20 strikeouts. He has been pitching well for the Blue Jays. Even though he's a lefty, I'm a little worried about how the White Sox fare against them. The Blue Jays have had a good track Mm -hmm. record against Michael Kopech. So I'm a little bit worried about that game. So my thinking is the White Sox do win a game. I'm with you. They win our watch party on playback on Tuesday, but they lose the other two. And even though it kind of pains me to say this out loud, when we have the midweek podcast on Sox machine live, even though it'd be terrible to say the white Sox would be eight and 17. The next time we chat, Jim, that's just where my gut is coming into this series. Like we're going to be talking about an eight and 17 white Sox team after 25 games. I thought you were going to say, like, it pains me to say this, but I would take that outcome. <laughs> I would take, like, winning one out of three and, like, oh, that, that's really depressing. Like, because they have to start winning a series at some point eventually. So, yeah, that's kind of, you know, they have to start winning series eventually. They have to, I mean, math says they have to. And just for the sake of TV ratings and clubhouse uh discord and so forth like they have to start doing something and so like it sometimes can be tough like sometimes the schedule isn't going to allow it but like there is an opening here because as you mentioned like the blue jays lineup is a little bit top heavy uh you know there are some ways to pitch around it like they're you know their rotation has a weak spot like you like you know the pablo lopez just got beat up by the nets like you can always get somebody on their off day and the white Sox may as well make an off day but Hard to project it. Like it just, given the failures we've seen and just, you know, especially the the Lopez blown save and how efficient he was in blowing that save. Homer, single homer. Like just, you know, all of a sudden it's over, no outs even recorded, no tees as to like he can get out of this. Like he didn't even get into it before the game was over. That's, you know, what's so maddening about this and so like disheartening and hard to generate faith in like a tough looking series working on the White Sox favor. But if it's gonna, it, it's gonna like, that's kind of how I have to look at it, but uh, they have to prove it and they haven't done that yet. So I'm hoping they can win one, but um, I want to see him win one. Like I, I want to see him win one. And hopefully it's not like the third game of the series to where we're talking about like what? Oh, seven and one in series to start the yep. season. Like, you know, going winless and, uh, you know, eight straight series start a season. Like that's, you know, that's, that's terrible. And then having a four game series against Tampa Bay, which you would take a series split. So you could start the season all of April winless in season series. And then you could roll into May and you have that three game homestand uh, home series against the Minnesota twins that ends the seven game homestand starting with Tampa Bay it ends with Minnesota Maybe their first series win of the the season is in Cincinnati when we're there for the watch for the the meetup. Maybe that maybe then Jim they will have a series win and we could all be there to celebrate the victorious occasion. Man, that is dour. That is dour. And they'll still be like, 
Yeah, they'll still be like five games out of the central. <laughs> right. Like no, that's what that's my fear is like they're just going to be keep stringing along like looking at the standings. Boston is last place at 12 and 11. They'd be a half game out of the central. Yep. Yeah, every team in the American League East is above 500 right yeah. now. Yeah. And I just quickly looked it up the the, the worst start for first 25 games is Hawk Harrelson's 1986 White Sox team 7 and 18. The 2018 White Sox started the year 8 and 17. So the White Sox get swept here by the Blue Jays. This would be the worst 25 game start to a season since when Hawk Harrelson was the general manager. And boy, that is company you do not want to be involved with for any front office, especially the major league. Yeah. So that's what the White Sox are looking at. And again, we'll be recapping as far as the games with the White Sox wake-up calls daily. And uh, we'll have Sox Machine Live to recap the White Sox and Blue Jays series midweek. Yeah, we just need like somebody to tell Jerry Reinsdorf if it gets to that point that Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams have just tied Hawk Harrelson, the GM, for worst start like because jerry admits hawk was a mistake as a gm like would that like break through uh the force field that that keeps these guys employed and say like oh he's they're hawk bad uh i remember that i still cite that i still yeah that's a very vivid memory of something gone terribly wrong uh yeah would that probably not but still i hope because you know as we talked about like if this team is going to be a 70 win team and this is the kind of pace they're starting on like and they have to tear it down like you do not want anybody involved in the front office whether it's Kenny Williams Rick Hahn Chris Getz anybody to be involved in tearing this down because they've shown no ability to build back up and see it through well we'll see on how this series goes and again we'll talk to you guys midweek for Sox Machine Live but that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. I know things are bad. I know that they are. And a lot of you do not want to watch White Sox baseball. That's fine. We'll watch the White Sox baseball games for you and report back. So continue to follow us on social media. We're at Sox Machine. I'm at Sox Machine underscore Josh. Continuing to visit SoxMachine.com and be part of the conversation, the comment section, and all the posts that we have. And we have the future Sox guys as well reporting what's happening down in the minor leagues. If you want to start looking at prospects again like we did in 2016 and 2017 and 2018 days, you could definitely do that on the website. You could also follow us on Instagram where you could see some of our curling photos and videos as well at socks machine and at socks machine underscore Josh on Instagram. If this is the first time you've listened to a socks machine podcast, welcome. You can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Such as Spotify and Apple music. Uh, and we also post the podcast episodes into our YouTube channel, which you could watch at youtube.com slash socks machine, which is also where we have our live stream and other highlights. If you enjoy our work and want more, like we talked about at the beginning part of the show, you can sign up to become one of our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash machine. If you don't want to be part of the Veterans Committee, we still have other tiers of support as our Patreon members get exclusive content as Jim just recently had a PO Socks mailbag that he answered questions from the Patreon supporters. Uh, and you can read that. These are also ad-free versions of the podcast and website. And when we have new Socks Machine swag in the Socks Machine store, you're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Machine. 
The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. You're all for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. Mm-hmm.